Hello, and welcome to episode 40 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Today, I talk with Pete McKaitis. Pete is an award-winning speaker and coach who helps professionals perform optimally at work. Pete has delivered one-on-one coaching to over 700 leaders hailing from world-class organizations such as Google, FedEx, Apple, and more. He is the host of How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, which is one of my favorites. And as you'll hear, I was a guest on the show a little while back talking about productive meetings. Today, Pete and I talk about the importance of questions, how questions can help us be more productive, different types of questions you can ask and how to respond to questions, which sometimes you shouldn't, and even when you shouldn't ask questions. Now here's our conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Pete. I want to start by saying that a few months ago, you hosted me on your podcast, How to Be Awesome at Your Job, and I am excited to get to now switch roles and, and interview you. Oh, yes, me too. Well, it was fun to have you there and it's, it's fun to be here. So, so thanks a lot. So let's talk about questions. This is something that you said you've been thinking a lot about. And so what's, what's on your mind about this topic of questions and power for questions? Well, I, I, just questions make such a huge difference. And, and I think it's easy to sort of skirt right past them. And I think part of that's come about with, you know, as, as I've sort of done some work in, you know, pursuing training as a coach through uh, Coaches Trading Institute, the coactive model, if, if you know them. And that's one of their competencies is asking powerful questions that they speak to. And, and I've been just so fascinated as I do coaching and as I receive coaching, how it's, it's just amazing how even though you, you kind of know some things, but when you're, you're directly asked the question and, and forced to sort of face it uh, head on and, and not sort of wriggle away from, from what you're considering, suddenly, you know, action just, just happens in terms of if you've been postponing or procrastinating something, it suddenly becomes serious, like the, the rubber meets the road when, when you are looking at the questions and, and you don't wriggle out of it. And then new possibilities appear, misunderstandings disappear. I, I just love questions these days. I also love questions. And as a coach, I feel like it makes my job so much easier because my job is to ask good questions and to help elicit the answers from the person I'm talking with. And I find, as you're saying, it's amazing how much people know already and are thinking about. And when you just ask them the right questions, it all starts to come out and be clearer. Absolutely. Yes. It's it's, it's huge. And, and I think it's, it's overlooked. And I think there's so much power associated with being able to to take a pause and not feel like you you even have to have all the the right answers or, or even all the right questions. I was reading a book at, at one time. This this leader asked the question, "What's the question we need to consider next?" That just made me laugh because if you think about leaders having all the answers, not only did this leader not have all the answers, she didn't even have the questions. But it was a, still a great question. They they got things moving and focused to where they needed to go. So I love that because there are two questions that I often ask. So one is at the end of any kind of informational session, I always ask, what questions didn't I ask that other people oh, yeah. ask? Because I, I love that. Like, of course, I'm not going to think of all the questions. And you know, if I can get the benefit of everyone else's questions from this person who sat and had these conversations over and over, I want to know their answers. 
And second is when we have meetings, a lot of times we'll say, what questions do we need to answer in order to move forward? And we'll actually make a list of questions. Rather than making a list of strategies to try or next steps to go out and do, we'll just question storm and say, what questions do we need to answer before we can even take any action? That's beautiful. That's an inspired approach. Well done. I approve. (laughs) All right. So what are some of the different ways that questions can be helpful? Are there different kinds of questions to ask at different moments? How do you, how do you think about those like dividing questions for purpose? Well, you know, there, there are many different categories and, and we could chat through through several of them. But one of the first that I think is most helpful for a, a rock star manager, if you will, I, I love your your turn of a phrase there, would just be sort of questions associated with with clarifying, you know, what is it that you really want to, to see done and what would constitute success as you are, are issuing a piece of work or, or doing some delegating. And so, you know, I've done a whole training module uh, for about 90 minutes, you know, all about clarifying clarifying questions. And I promise it's fun. We make it interactive and and back and forth. And and so, you know, one sort of analogy I like to use is I'm sort of awed by, you know, folks like, you know, FedEx or UPS who have the capability to just, you know, deliver millions of packages like flawlessly and quickly, you know, time after time. And, And I think that the core, or at least one of the cores associated with, with how that amazing execution happens is just because they have such tremendous clarity associated with what they're doing you know and and so i use a little acronym called debt pram short for determine the parameters i'm cheating a little bit so d t p r a m and and sort of there are six key things that you want to to get really clear in terms of the the deliverable the timing the process the resources the audience and the motive. And so if you think about it from an example of, of a package, you know, we might say the deliverable is the thing actually being delivered. So what is the size? What is the weight? The timing is how quickly does it need to get there? Is it three days? Is it two day? Is it uh, immediately by, by 10 a.m.? And then the process, it would be, are we going to use air? Is it going to be ground? Is, is it a kind of fragile, needs special treatment? And then the resources like, hey, just what kind of a price are we thinking associated with this? And, and is that sort of too much or okay? And the audience would be the specific recipient. What's their address and their zip code and their phone number? And, and what's the, the sort of motive, the underlying intent in terms of maybe is there the value? Is it big? Is, is there insurance required? And I don't know about you, but I, I kind of find it sort of a pain in, in the rear when you're trying to ship something and, and they ask you all of these, these little questions. And I think, just make it disappear out of my hands and, and go to where it needs to go. But I think that's kind of the nature of clarifying questions. It's, it's kind of a pain, but it's, it's way less painful than, than redoing or, or getting the thing wrong when you realize, oops, we had a misunderstanding a month ago and we, we first sort of handed off this assignment. It's, it's so on point. It's one of the things I always look for when I'm hiring. And it's the first thing that I talk about with my new employees is to ask questions, ask clarifying questions, ask questions if you don't understand something, ask questions if something I say is confusing, ask questions if you don't know how to do something, because those clarifying questions will save you so much time and headache and wasted resources if you ask them up front than waiting a week in, three weeks, six weeks in, and then being like, oops, I didn't I didn't realize that. Oh, totally. And I think maybe the only reason that people don't is because there's, there's a level of embarrassment, like, oh, I should know that, or oh, that's dumb. That's probably obvious to everybody else in the room except for me. And so if I if I give voice to this question, it sort of shows that, you know, I'm a phony or an imposter or, or, or I don't know as much stuff as they, they think I should know in this role. And all of that is, 
you know, lies. It's it's not true. And and I don't think I've ever been angry, you know, at, at someone I've been managing or coordinating because they had, you know, too many clarifying questions for me. It's like, oh, that's a really good point. Thank you for anticipating that that thing that I hadn't thought of at all. It's way better that to to do that, of course, than to say, oh, this isn't what I wanted. I totally agree. And I've also found that if you have a question many times, especially in a meeting, other people have that question too. And no one's and no one's asking it. Absolutely. Dead on. So let's talk about other kinds of questions. Like what else besides clarifying are questions really good for? Well, I'm really big on prioritizing questions as well in terms of, boy, just the the sea of information and opportunities and, and potentially worthwhile things you can do out there. It's so key that you're you're keeping your focus on the right things that are really going to make a, a world of difference. And so I, I'm a huge advocate for the 80-20 rule. And, and I don't know if you've discussed that previously on your show, because I could dork out about it for about three hours if you want. Well, yeah, let's go there for a second because I haven't <laughs> talked about it yet. Oh, sure thing. Well, the 80-20 rule, uh, also known as Pareto's Law, stems from this Italian economist, Vilfredo Pareto, who noted that uh, 80% of the land uh, in his region was owned by 20% of the landowners. He also noted that 80% of his shrubbery foliage coverage area was was produced by 20% of, of the plants in his garden. And he just became fascinated about this relationship showing up again and again and again in terms of very often 80% of the, the output or the results are coming from 20% of the causes. And so he calls these 20% of the causes that make all the difference or 80% of the difference, the vital few causes. And it's it's so huge to just stop and reflect upon you know what are the vital few things that make all, all the difference and the the leverage associated with that mathematically I won't get into the dorky details but the vital few causes uh, produce sixteen times as much result per unit of effort than the the other what he calls trivial many causes. And so so that's huge. It's not like if you think about prioritizing your to-do list that uh, you know one is a smidgen, you know, more important than another. Eh, that'll give us a little edge. That might be about 30% better than than another one, like uh, maybe a one brand of of eggs is 30% cheaper than another. That's a little better. No no no, it's 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 a massive difference. And so uh, for example, here we are podcasters. I guess I think about the time I've spent really thinking through What's, uh, what's our process you know, for producing an episode or for finding a great teammate? Those hours invested there have saved many times, you know, 16 times that number of hours of, of doing the thing myself or, or doing it in a, a wrong, bad, slow, inefficient way. Yes. And I, I'm also a big fan of the 80-20 rule and I've never heard the history of it. So that was fascinating. Well, Thank you, you for sharing. My pleasure. Yeah. And now I'm thinking about how do you figure out, like, what kinds of questions should you be asking to figure out what that 20% is that you should be investing more in or you should be prioritizing so that you're not you know, letting your to-do list just kind of overflow with things you have to get done and focusing too much time on the 80%, which seems like what most of us are probably doing. Oh, sure thing. Well, you know, there, there's several ways. And I'd say, if you're talking about to-do lists, I, I'm thinking that it often boils down to, you know, what is the the sort of key goal you're trying to accomplish? Like, like what does success mean? What does victory look like? What is the result, the output, 
that you're after? How do we define quality? And, and so there's all those are questions. There you go. So if, if you get kind of clear on, on those matters, then you start to see, okay, so if it's an organization, a for-profit business, you know, often we care about profit, generating profit. And the constraining resource for your time is your time. And so I will actually have many a time evaluated different initiatives on a spreadsheet based upon what is the projected profit created per hour invested. So that's the metric I'm using. And sure enough, I do find that that some initiatives will pay off big to the tune of like $800 an hour (laughs) and others pay off small to the tune of $6 an hour. And it's like, I'm not going to go do the Twitter marketing uh, initiative. I looked at that. Didn't turk out so well on my on my spreadsheet. You know, instead I'm, I'm going to go be a guest on awesome podcasts like yours. You know, this is this is valuable valuable return on on time invested. So thank you again for this opportunity. Oh, well thank you for being here. I'm so excited. I love learning from you and this is such a great way for me to invest as well. So this is fantastic. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about responding to questions, because this is something that I have experienced where people will ask questions and I'm like, is that actually a useful question? Is it a good idea for me to take time out of this meeting to answer your question? Or how do you respond to questions when you're not sure, either not sure of the answer or you feel like maybe that this isn't the right time to answer that question, or maybe it's not a useful question, if that's such a thing? Oh, sure thing. Well, you know, I think again, when it comes to that concept of of sort of being scared or not having the confidence to to ask a question, I think the same rules apply when finding the the confidence to decline answering a question. And and I, I think the wrong answer is to make something up. <laughs> you know, that is that is potentially devastating uh, in terms of like if that information is relied upon for big decisions that have big impact and are wrong. You know, that's, that's bad news for the whole team and organization and your credibility. So so don't do that. I think the best move is, you know, it, it, it's not super original, but to just kind of candidly say, oh, you know, thank you for that question. You know, I've spent most of my time invested in exploring this other area. So I don't have the answer for you right now, but I'm going to note it right here and, and fi- point you to the right resource. And so there you have it. It's like, I'm not going to make stuff up, and I'm, but I'm going to make sure that you get what you need. And, and that's where it is. So is there ever a time where you want to not ask a question? You want to say like, mm, I have this question in my head, but I'm just not going to ask it because there's a good reason to not ask that question. Oh, this is, this is a great one. Yeah. You know, I think that one, I want to talk about sort of, you know, embarrassment slash saving face. So I think some questions have a, a natural implication when, when answered that you know, the person you're asking uh, screwed up. They didn't do a good job. They did an incomplete job and it's just sort of not looking so great. So for example, I'm imagining a world in which uh, someone is presenting uh, an analysis they did on a, a marketing strategy. You ask maybe three questions to, to get some more detail. And then it's pretty clear that there's nothing to be shared there in terms of getting those that layer of information. You may have seven more questions to ask, but if you were to ask those seven more questions in a, in a public forum, that just is, is kind of humiliating in terms of it's like, okay, I didn't realize you needed this level of depth and, uh, and excellence. And I've kind of feel silly and, and embarrassed that uh, I showed up here less than fully prepared. And, and so I, I think in a way, just sort of sort of sparing them 
uh, would be appreciative in that way to just quietly, you know, have that conversation one on one. It's like, hey, you know, uh, this is really important in order to to get the the job done well. We're going to have to have a, a thorough understanding of these issues. Uh, here's here's the extra things I had in mind. I'd love for you to sort of flesh those out and, and kind of get back to me with uh, all the more robust presentation that, that addresses these. So that's one I think would be uh, saving face. You know, I think another one would be if you know they're they're just not quite ready to go there you know in terms of let's say you're offering a lot of feedback and coaching and challenging and 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 pushing in terms of of learning growth development stuff and that's awesome you know but i think you know if you were to ask too many questions about developing you know too many uh, skills all at once, you know, that could quickly become overwhelming in the sense of, oh my gosh, Mamie thinks I am terrible at my job, <laughs> you know, on every dimension, you know. And so I, I would hold back a, a little bit there. I'd also say, you know, be careful about, you know, asking a question that, you know, you you can't really handle the answer to or you don't really mean uh, in, tr- in all honesty. For example, if you say, oh, hey, uh, who has some ideas about how we can approach this? But but it's not really sincere in terms of like there's zero intention associated with following up on those. That, then that could really be demoralizing in the sense that that people really they take the time they they generate these creative ideas they they share them with you and then absolutely nothing happens and then it's kind of like message received. You say you care about our input, but in practice, you don't really care to deviate from you know your plans or initiatives. And and so that way you sort of hurt yourself by asking the question in, in the first place because you've invited input that uh, you're, you're going to do nothing with and and they kind of pick up on that. Oh, those three were all such good reasons to not ask a question. And I want to throw one more in because it's all one right. that actually really, really bothers me, which is when people ask questions and the answer has no impact on the decision we're about to make. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I find yeah, this, as, as someone who's trying to facilitate a lot of meetings and move us towards decisions, it drives me nuts when people ask a question. And sometimes I'll actually interrupt and say, you know, we're running short on time. Does the answer to this question materially impact the choice we're about to make? Because if it doesn't, then we can still address this question another time. But let's move forward with the decision and hold off on answering that question. People like to ask questions. People, yes. people want to know. And I feel like sometimes in those situations, it's this idea of feeling like you're being thoughtful and strategic and doing your due diligence and covering all your bases. And in reality, there's lots of questions that people ask that don't really need to be answered. So just don't ask them. You know, I, I love that. And I don't want to kind of go on two sides of that question. So one of my favorite questions for decision making and, and organizing your analysis and, and research is what must be true for this to be a wise move? Ooh. And then how do we test that? And so you get a little bit of a foretaste. And, and I could tell you an embarrassing story of how I failed to ask Ooh, that. And I should Please, have, if, if, if you, you don't want. mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Well, so, so the scoop is I, remember I put out a book and I was trying to promote it. And I got wind of this publication that went out to a lot of radio and TV producers. This was a few years ago. And I thought, okay, that's cool. And, and so I was sort of imagining, well, is this going to be worth it? I don't know. I want to sell some more books and, you know, book some, you know, speaking and training engagements, you know, based on that exposure. Uh, it's, you know, it's more than a thousand bucks. I don't know if I want to spend that, you know. And so I was kind of going back and forth and I was just making up some absurd assumptions in Excel about what it might do for me. And, that's, and I said, okay, fine, let's do it. So, so I, I spent the money 
I did the promotion and then I discovered to my chagrin that I was only on like five radio programs and and two of them were like prank radio programs. I was like the butt of the joke and, and there's very little impact whatsoever in terms of, of, of book sales or exposure. And so I just felt dumb, like, man, why did I waste that money? I, I guess I just had had big hopes in, in terms of what it could do. And then a couple of weeks later, someone looked at my advertisement in that publication and gave me a call I said, oh, hi, Pete. My name is you know, Mr. So-and-so. And I was considering advertising in this publication. And I just kind of wanted to know how that worked out for you. And I just laughed out loud. It's like, wow, that's what I should have done is <laughs> just call somebody and say, how'd this work out for you? You know, rather than just the, the crazy Excel extrapolations, yeah, I guess consulting run amok in, in my head. And so there you go. Uh, what must be true? It's going to sell some books. How can you test that? Call a few people who did it. See if they'd sold some books. That is so brilliant. I feel like that's going to be my number one thing I do going forward because I do the exact same thing. I have all these great ideas. I listen to the marketing pitch. I come up with some numbers that I think seem reasonable. And I'm like, okay, let's give it a try. We'll experiment. But there are much better ways to test sometimes than actually going forward with something. So those are such good questions to ask. Love it. Absolutely. And on the flip side, in terms of like your, your time wasting point, you know, I would suggest maybe an internal question you ask yourself in terms of if you're curious about something, but it, it may or may not make a material difference. I think the way to find out is imagine the entire range of answers to your question. Like the answer is it's really big. It's really small. It's a big number. It's a, it's a tiny number. It's everybody. It's nobody. Just imagine the whole range of potential answers to your question. And if from one extreme to the other, the decision is not at all changed, well, then you know, that's a question not worth asking. Oh, I love that approach. That is such a great strategy to be able to assess if the question is a a question worth spending the time answering. Fantastic. Awesome. So we are kind of shifting and starting to switch into our end here. And as you know, this is called The Modern Manager. So can you tell us about one of the rock star managers that you have had a chance to work with and for? And what made him or her so great? You know, the person who comes to mind here, uh, it was when I was consulting at, at Bain & Company, and his name is Blair. And uh, he was just, uh, he was a real character. He was he was from New Zealand, and he had so, just some fun attitude. And we had a, a good rapport in terms of, you know, razzing each other a little bit and, and joking around. But what I think was so memorable for me with Blair was that he made it a priority to ensure that we always got to have what he'd call a PD chat or professional development. And what that consisted of was, was making sure we had some time each week to discuss a little bit. It's like, hey, here's what I noticed from you this week that I thought was really great. And here's something I noticed from you this week that you know I, I thought could be, could be better. I could use some more of this or some less of that. And, and so we just really made it kind of a ritual. And so the way it fit into the groove was when we took the, the taxi ride back from the airport to the home office, often on like a Thursday afternoon, that was sort of our time. And it was, was, you know, Pete and Blair talk about professional development. And and it was so cool. Sometimes we'd have other teammates, you know, who were also in the airport going back in the same direction. And Blair would be like, no, no, Pete and I are going to grab this cab. You're going to get a separate one because, (laughs) you know, because this was our time. And and I just thought that was really cool how it wasn't just sort of an optional extra, but it was something that we, we wove into 
you know, the very fabric of, of just how the work week unfolds. That is so exciting to hear because I hear a lot of complaints from people that their manager cancels their PD conversations or that yeah. they are canceling them on their direct reports because they're like, I just don't have time to do this. And I'm like, don't do that. It's not optional. And I love that this person was even willing to spend more money on a cab in order to preserve that time with you. That is just so beautiful. Totally. Now, I think it was the client's <laughs> money, but you know, <laughs> that that probably means at some point you hit the limit. So I, I guess if, if you're approaching the end of the rope, that means that the, the dinners have to get less fancy. So, so there's a degree of sacrifice in there. Well, as we wrap up here, where can people keep up with you and find your podcast and your book? I didn't even know you wrote a book. So tell us about that stuff. Oh, sure thing. Yeah. Well, well, the book is, you know, that was some years ago and it's only marginally relevant. It's about accountability and how people can support one another to to achieve their their goals. Uh, so, you know, tangentially related to being awesome at your job, it's more of kind of a personal ambition sort of a thing. But I think the best way to find me would be, well, it's called How to Be Awesome at Your Job is the podcast and website. You can find awesomeatyourjob.com or input right in your podcast player awesome job. It, it tends to auto-complete. I might point you to episode 321 where the tables are turned with Mamie here. So that'd be a cool starting place. And, and yeah, we'd love awesome. to hear from you. And I just want to give a shout out to your Golden Nuggets email because that I, I just subscribed and I'm very excited for them. Can you well, tell you. our listeners what that is? Oh, sure thing. Well, so, you know, the show comes out three times a week and, and I am well aware that not every listener chooses to listen to every episode. And that is totally cool. You find the ones that are most relevant for you. But uh, the gold nuggets enable folks to, to do a bit of a browser, a skim in terms of saying, oh, okay, that's those are some of the key insights I've got there. So if you're a, a completionist who, who feels the need to, I don't know if you're watching a TV series, watch every episode or a podcast, listen to every episode, this sort of lets you check the box on, okay, I know what that episode is about but I'm not going to spend the full 40 minutes, you know, listening to it. Fantastic. Thank you again, Pete. This was so much fun. I love these conversations and I totally want to geek out more on the 80-20 rule another time. Oh, I welcome it. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. That was a really fun conversation. And I highly suggest that you check out Pete's podcast, How to Be Awesome at Your Job. I've linked to episode 321 in the show notes, and that's the episode where Pete and I talk about meetings. Pete has also graciously shared his Business Promises tracking spreadsheet, which you can get when you join the Modern Manager community on Patreon. To join, go to patreon.com slash modernmanager. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash modernmanager. And when you join, you also get full episode guides and all of the prior guest bonuses, which let me tell you, there are some really good ones there. You can also join the monthly coaching calls or get one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I suggest you check it out if you haven't yet. As always, the links are in the show notes. And if you want them delivered directly to your inbox, subscribe to my newsletter at mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration. And teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. 
To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.